Open your Bibles. Did you all bring your Bibles today? Yes, yes, yes. Open your Bibles to the third chapter of Romans. The third chapter of Romans. And we're continuing on our little mini-series on the grace of God. We've discovered that great grace is up on you. And that great grace is up on me. And that the grace and the favor of God is ours today. Oh, no junior high. Okay. Junior high, come back. Okay, let's rewind that tape. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Me amo es Marcos Francisco Tomasa. Got to be instant in season and out. Amen. So great grace is up on all of us. Favor is what we are encircled with. It is as a shield around our lives. Now the grace of God is kind of like electricity in that there are different aspects of grace. Just like this morning, I made my coffee with electricity. I dried my hair with electricity. Some of you used electricity to make your breakfast. So there's different aspects of electricity. It's the same electricity, it's just used differently. So it is with grace. There's different aspects of the grace of God. For example, there's saving grace. There is grace that sanctifies us. There is grace that sustains us. So what I want to look at just for a while today is I want to look at some of the things that grace does for us, in us, and through us. Number one, grace justifies. Grace justifies us. So we look at our text in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and up on all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now here's what I want you to see. Read verse 24 with me. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now notice the term redemption. Redemption brings us grace... And this grace is freely given. But this grace that is a gift must be received through faith. Amen. And so we have been declared righteous. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice that it was and is apart from the law. Now how many of you know the law points you to sin? But grace points you to righteousness. The law will tell you you are a loser. 
But grace tells you that we're all winners. Grace says, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. Now you're going to see a little handout at the information table next Sunday. And there is something here, the law versus grace. And we could look at scripture after scripture and we could be here till tomorrow at noon. And that's not the purpose of this service. But let me just draw a little comparison. Then you can take this and study it yourself. Number one, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Here's what the law says to you. The law says, okay, do this or die. But grace says, it is done, now live. The law says, well, you know, just try to do your best. But grace says, trust in the Lord and enter into rest. The law says, the soul that sins shall die. But grace says, believe only and you shall live. The law revealed man's sin. Grace reveals God's love. The law demands obedience. You're going to do this. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. The law demands. It's, it's, you'll find that religion is legalistic. It demands obedience. But grace gives us the power to obey. Oh, thank you, Lord. The law was written on stone, but grace is written on our hearts. The law brings one into bondage, but the grace of God sets us free and brings glorious liberty. The law was done away at Calvary. Oh, glory to God. But the grace of God, it abides forever. So, dear friend, you have been justified apart from works. Secondly, we want to look at the fact that grace enables you to reign in life. There is an enablement through the grace of God that will help you to reign in life. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Romans the fifth chapter and let's look at verse 17. How many of you are believing with me today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. The entrance of your word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Lord, we thank you for opening the eyes of our heart, flooding our spirits with the light of your word. And we give you praise for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, and of course that's speaking of Adam, death reigned by one, much more. I love that statement. That just sends a thrill into my spirit. Much more. Much, much more. You know what that says to me? That says to me that God's work in, glory to God, us, was greater than Satan's work in Adam. Hallelujah. 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 The work of God is greater than Satan's work. Matter of fact, he came about and he destroyed the works of the devil. Glory to God. It says now much more. And here's the faith part. Those which receive. Say it with me. I receive. receive. Now, if I was to give Brother George a hundred dollar bill today, you you don't have to talk him into it. You see that hand? He's very receptive. 
And that's what God has given you. He's given you faith in your heart. And with faith in your heart, you reach out with the hand of faith and you receive abundance. Abundance may be God's middle name. I like abundance. How about you? I'm not talking about redundance. I'm talking about abundance. What does abundance mean? Abundance means more than, more than, more than enough. And God's got more than enough grace for you. He's got more than enough grace for me. He's got grace that opens doors that no man can shut. He's got layers of grace. Layers and heaped up upon layers of grace. Hallelujah for every one of his kids. You too, brother. Layers of grace on you. It's abundant. Brother Mark, it's abundant. Abundance of grace. Abundance of grace. Grace to live a victorious life. Grace for your race. Grace to overcome. Grace to live by. Grace to shout by. Grace to be a parent in a nutty world. Supernatural grace. It's abundant. Those which receive now faith. Got to be receptive. Now right Paul? Say it with me. I receive. Abundance of grace. But he didn't stop there. And the gift of justification or right standing with God which enables you to come into the presence of God without a sense of fear, guilt, or inferiority, just like sin never existed before. Because you're purchased by blood and you're cleansed by blood. So this abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, now here's our point, shall reign. Shall reign. In life. Okay, you can adjust that, guys. There's some people getting very... Very cold, and we don't want that to happen. Rain in life. Just edit that out, you know. (laughs) Rain in life. Now, I like particularly what the Amplified says. For the sake of time, we won't look at it. But it says, rain as kings in life. Brother, Brother Richardson, Minister Richardson, stand up. This is King James. King Jimmy. Darnell, stand up. Thank you. This is King Darnell the first. I won't have you stand, but on that front row is King George. Yeah. Hey, come on now. We're going, we're waxing English on you now. (laughs) Glory to God. King Hernandez, the king of Puerto Rico. (laughs) King Mark. And there is neither male nor female. You're all kings in Christ Jesus. You know, it would do us good to treat one another... As if we were kings. It would do good for us to respect one another. And, 
And you know what I want to see happen in this church? I want to see a, uh, a value, if you would, of honor bump up several notches in our church. Where we're honoring one another. I'm not talking about worshiping one another. But we're honoring one another. We're loving one another. You know, the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. Now we're going to be getting into next week about how to be gracious. And uh, you gracious folks be here. Even you ungracious ones come. Reign in life as a king. Now, I looked up the word reign, and it means to be king. It means to have kingly power. It means to have the highest of influence. It means to have control. But I love this one the best. To reign over carries with it this thought that you're above. That you're above. Now get this, I'm better than everybody out of your mind. No, when it comes to circumstances, when it comes to disease, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to the things of this world, you have been raised up together and made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. And it's not just a little bit above all principality and power. It's far above, far above. All principality and power. That's devils, demons, and evil spirits. You are to rule and to reign over sickness and disease. You are to rule and to reign over poverty. Pastor, I don't have a nickel in my pocket. According to the word of God, you are rich. And if you'll believe this and act on this and receive the abundance of grace, this grace also will get into your pocketbook. I said it'll get into your pocketbook. But here's what I got now. Here's what I had in my spirit to center in a little bit on this morning. And uh, Sister Terry Amaral quoted it at prayer meeting. I wanted to say women's prayer meeting, but Wednesday morning's open to men now. And I are a man. And uh, I was in there. She quoted this verse, a scripture from Psalm 103. It says, Who redeemeth thy life... From destruction. And it just went off in me this week. He redeemeth. That word redeemeth is in the continuous sense in the Hebrew. It means he has redeemed us. He is redeeming us. And he will still yet redeem us. What a redeemer. But he redeemeth our lives from destruction. Now, think about it for a moment. We are living in the last of the last days. New Orleans experienced a tragedy years ago. In 1989, during the World Series of the A's and the Giants at 5.04 in the afternoon, we experienced a great earthquake. Japan just experienced an astronomic tsunami. Joplin just experienced the devastation and the destruction in their community of a huge tornado. Friends, these are the last days. And Satan's mad. Because he knows that his time's running out. Don't think for one moment that God is sending those things. 
God is not the destroyer. He's not the author of destruction. He's the author of restoration. He is the author of the lifter and builder up of communities and of our lives. But quite frankly, this earth is travailing. It's groaning. Jesus is coming soon. Now, he didn't come last Saturday. He probably won't come in October. But he, bless God, he a coming soon. I said, he a coming soon. And I feel like singing, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. How about you? Now, I may just wax a little Andre Crouch on you for a moment here now. It's Memorial Weekend. We're out to have a good time in church. You didn't come here to sit up all dead and straight and ugly. You came up here to get full of joy, full of peace, full of the glory of God. I know. I know many of them are going to be happy with your barbecue ribs. But let's get happy with a happy meal today from the word of the living God. Hallelujah. Well, I'm Mark Thomas bobblehead here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's happening. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. But here's what I got. He redeems our life from destruction. You know what? We, you know, it's like Mario said, predicting an earthquake in San Francisco is like predicting mustaches in Tijuana. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Jesus said the earth is going to shake. The earth is going to quake. But you know what? He redeems your life. He redeems your life. He redeems your family's life. He redeems your church. He redeems your property. He redeems your life from destruction. And I got to thinking last week, back in the fall, I grew up in Minnesota. Winters are extremely mean. Anybody here from the upper Midwest? Raise your hand. Yes. Okay. Minnesota. Detroit. Who else? Shout it out. Michigan. Anybody else? Chicago. Detroit. Right. Who else? So in the winter, right before winter, what we do is we storm proof our house because the storm is coming. I mean, the blizzards are ugly. We used to believe God for blizzards because we wouldn't have to go see the nuns for a while. We won't go there. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. But listen, we'd have to climb ladders, get those heavy storm windows out, clean the gutters out, change the windows, because we knew, quite frankly, that before... November ended, there was probably going to be a major snowstorm. And it was going to be cold from Thanksgiving right until right about now. I think the trees are just starting to bud in Minnesota right now. Seriously. So we, we weatherproof, we stormproof our home. If we 
did that naturally, how many of you know that spiritually we need to storm-proof our lives? And we are not to be afraid, and, and we are not to, to be shaking, but on the other hand, we're not to be stupid. Can I get a little help over in this section right here? Someone told me recently, you don't come over here enough. Hi, everybody. How you doing? How you like me now? <laughs> no, seriously. Storm-proof your life. Be not ignorant of Satan's devices. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you'll storm-proof your life, you can stick your glory to God's stake in the ground and say, you may not devour me, devil. Because I'm sanctified, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm about to tread on you. So you better watch out. I got my sword. Oh, I got my sword, and it's sharp. It's two-edged. So turn to Psalm 91. Here, here we go. Psalm 91. Here is your storm-proof instructions. Are you ready today? I know we've used a little humor, and that's good. It's wonderful. But I want you to learn something today. I want you to be able to take something home. And if you are asked, what did Pastor teach? He taught me how to storm-proof my life. And here's how we're, we're doing it. And how, here's how we're going to do it every day. Verse 1 of Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Point number one. You storm-proof your life and your home by dwelling. By being an abider. By being a serious saint, man. I'm not talking about being legalistic, but I'm talking about being in this word. And I'm saying being in worship, not just when you come to church. Now, I want to be nice when I say this, but some of you have a difficult time praising God in here. Did I say that? Maybe I better go back over there. I really want to be nice, but it's the truth. Some folks have a hard time worshiping in this atmosphere. What's going on in your house? What's going on in the home? What kind of an atmosphere do you have in your living room? Say la. Okay. But what I'm saying is this, and what and I believe God is saying, saints, it's time to be serious about the presence of God. It's time to get this word in you and worship God as a way of life. Not just when you feel like it. Not just when it's convenient. But oh, there is a place in God. And it is called the secret place of the Most High. And it is a place of safety. It will storm-proof your life. You will be inaccessible. In that place called secret. You will be, I like this, you will be untouchable. In 1 John chapter 5 it says, And the wicked one toucheth him not. Try that one on for size today. Say it real strong. I'm a dweller. I'm a dweller. 
in the secret place. And say it strong. And the wicked one does not touch me. Number two is found in verse two. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. So, number one, by dwelling. Number two, by speaking. Number two, by declaring. Declaring what, pastor? Declaring, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my redeemer. And you redeem my life from destruction. And no weapon that may be formed against me or my church or my area or my city, no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. If there is an earthquake, it doesn't have to prosper. If there is some sort of tragedy in the area, it doesn't have to penetrate. It doesn't have to bring the destruction. It can bring. You can be in that place of safety. But you've got to say it. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, Pastor Mark, are words important? Absolutely. Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Solomon said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Over and over in the word of God, we see that we steer our lives by the tongue, which is like a rudder on a ship. And it says this in verse 10. I love this. In verse 8. In the Amplified, it says, Only a spectator will you be. Yourself inaccessible in the secret place of the Most High. As you witness the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. Read verse 10 with me. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Why? For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you want angels to be involved in protecting you? Be a dweller. Be a speaker. And I saw this in the early service, and I'm going to communicate it again to you. And I saw it out of verse 8. It says, you'll be a spectator, and you yourself will be inaccessible in the secret place. And I thought, okay, that's great that we'll be safe, but what about others? You know, the Bible says a thousand will fall, and ten thousand will fall, but it'll not come near you. Well, that's great, isn't it? But how many of you know, I believe there's a higher call on us as a church than for just us four and no more. Here's what I saw and here's what I believe. I believe that as you and I get serious about being dwellers in the secret place of the Most High, we will begin to become alerted by God. Because He will enable us to see as He sees and to know as He knows and He will show us some things to come. And He will also show us some things that we can stop. You don't even, can't even count the amount of terrorist attacks that have been averted by the body of Christ. 
Only eternity will tell all the things that have been stopped and have been averted by people playing, praying out of that place. The secret place. And so this becomes a blessing for us individually, but it also becomes a responsibility for us corporately. Because the kingdom of God is not just about you and me. The kingdom of God and expanding this kingdom is about an area. It's about a nation. It's about a world. And if we won't pray, who will? If we won't nestle up in the secret place of the Most High, who will? It then becomes our responsibility to be watchmen on the wall. To be standers in the gap. This is no lightweight responsibility. I can remember Brother Hagen. After camp meeting one year in the 70s, he almost like fell into a trance and began to pray in the Spirit and to pray in the Spirit. And the Lord dealt with him very strongly about some things that are coming upon the earth. And it's as if he saw three giant demonic forces coming out of the ocean. And one was coming after the economy of the nation. The other was coming after the political scene of the nation. And the other one slips my mind and slips my memory. But the Lord said, if you will pray, wow, that you can stop that. That you can avert the attacks of the enemy. And then he said, look, he says, I'm holding the church responsible for what occurred in Vietnam. I'm holding the church responsible for Watergate. I'm holding the church responsible for some things that the church has allowed to creep in. That's, that's an awesome responsibility, guys. See, we are prayers. We're not players. You all know what a player is. You know, a player is a, you know, you know what a player is in the natural. You don't want nothing to do with a player. You know, he shows up all shiny and, you know, he's playing. He's a player. There's a lot of people in church that are players. They're playing. We ought not to be playing. We ought to be praying. And in Christ Jesus, we can reign in life and we can stop some junk. I said we can stop some junk. But not only can we stop some things, we can release some things. We can release Holy Ghost power around the presidential office. We can release wisdom around the people around President Obama. You see, you and I flow in a wisdom that this world knows nothing about. We flow in the wisdom of God. And in and out of that secret place, is this making any sense to you today? In and out of that secret place, we speak the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom which man teaches, but wisdom which the Holy Ghost teaches. And so when we get in that place, oh, God will show you some things about your own babies. He'll show you how they're getting ready to go out and do some drugs. You'll be able to stop it. You'll be able to have a word of knowledge. They'll come home late. And you'll know exactly where they've been without having been there. 
That'll put the fear of God in them. Mm-mm-mm. I just don't believe that life should just be happening the way the devil wants it to happen. I just don't, I don't believe in this case, Sarah, Sarah, you know, whatever will be, will be. And, you know, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he gave you the keys of the kingdom. And he said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Listen, don't wait for life to happen. You get up every day. Dwell in that secret place of the Most High. Be a speaker of God's Word. And you will be inaccessible in that place. Now notice with me in verse 13. He says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and dragon shalt thou what? So in this secret place, you are dwelling... You are stormproofing your house by speaking. And thirdly, you're doing it by treading. Because all things are under your feet. And you are walking on top of all circumstances. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory, glory, glory. Glory to God. We are not being walked on by the devil and circumstances, but we are walking on top of them. For all things have been placed under my feet. And you are in my body and you are my feet in this land today. So walk on top of the things that come your way. Do not magnify the problem. Do not rehearse all that is going on around you. But rejoice in what I've done and what I'm doing in you. For I have done a mighty work in your life. And I'm enabling you now to reign and to rule in this life. Through my name and through my son. So tread now, saints. On serpents and scorpions. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And then I want you to look at something else. Notice with me in verse 14. Because. Because. You have set your love upon me. Therefore I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you have known my name. Thank you, Lord. You will call upon me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. Read verse 16 with me. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So now get this and get this very clearly. The psalmist is ending this by saying, look, you stormproof your life by dwelling. You stormproof your life by speaking. You stormproof your life by treading. And you stormproof your life by keeping your mind and your life set upon me. This is not a Sunday and Wednesday deal. 
This is a 24-7, 365 day a year deal. To where you're setting your love upon Him. Go quickly to Luke chapter 6 and say it with me real strong. I dwell and I speak and I tread and I set. And then say this real strong. I am a doer of the Word of God. In Luke chapter 6, 47, it says this. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. Not just hearing the words, but doing them. I will show you to whom he is like. What is he like, Jesus? Well, here's what he's like. He's like a man which built a house and he dug deep and he laid the foundation on a rock. And the flood rose. And the stream beat vehemently upon that house. And what happened? It could not shake it. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. Now get this. Here's the last point to stormproofing your life. Being a doer of the word. Now the storm came to both houses, right? One fell, the other stood. The one that fell just heard the word and just casually said, okay, great, wonderful sermon, great, see you Easter Sunday. You know, awesome, oh boy, the pastor worked up a sweat, wasn't that glorious? You know, I wonder if that's sanctified sweat. Just wonderful, great, oh man, could you, what, next, what's the next series? Next, you know. I just finished, you know, listening to Brother Copeland and Brother Hagen, and I've listened to all these preachers and Jesse and Creflo and Shandai and Shandai, and I listened to all this. Next, what's the next revelation? It's not revelation until you do it. It's not about the accumulation of knowledge. It's about receiving revelation knowledge. And it's not revelation knowledge until it's heard and acted upon. You see, acting upon the knowledge that you have heard brings revelation into your life. And it storms proofs your life. So be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Too many deceived Christians around. Listen, friends. God's got great plans for you. Don't flub them up. Don't flub it up. And here's, here's what happens. And I might as well just be honest about it. Tragedy comes and people fall. And God gets the blame. You know, I've been to funerals before that I wasn't officiating. And the underlying tone and the underlying message of the funeral was, well, <laughs> we don't understand But we know, dear brothers and sisters, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. We don't know. You know, God just might have needed another little tulip in his garden. Seriously. Anybody ever been to a funeral like that? As soon as people don't understand, God gets blamed. God gets the blame. 
Listen, if God was guilty of a third of the stuff that he's blamed for, he'd be in San Quentin and never get out. Well, you know, we don't understand why we lost our house. It might be that the person hasn't tithed ever. Well, we don't understand why so-and-so died prematurely. It could be because they were 300 pounds overweight. Well, brother, we're just not supposed to understand. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. It's a lie. And God gets the blame for people just being casual Christians. For people being sleepy. And just kind of going through their lives asleep. I remember Brother Moore one time, and I were in Tulsa. And he was driving me back to my hotel. And he said, Mark? I said, yep. He said, you know, he says, most of the world's asleep. And he said, not only non-Christians, but Christians. He said, most of the world's asleep. They're just going through the motions, going through life, and letting life happen to them. But then he looked at me and says, but not you. And not me. We're awake. We're alert. We're alive. We have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Don't let life... I, I know this is strong. Don't just let life happen to you. Just don't let whatever be will be. Just, that's a lie. God's given you authority. He's given you dominion. He's given you something to say about the domain that He's given you. He's given you the stewardship over your family. He's given you the stewardship over your body. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. There are laws naturally and spiritually. If we contact them the right way, things will work. But if we violate certain laws of the Spirit and natural laws, we're open for destruction. But oh, you and I have been made to sit together with Him. To reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You and I have been given the name above every name. You and I have been given the life-changing Word of God where if we don't like what we see around us, we can change what we see by what we speak. We can change what we see by what we believe. We can change by what, what we see by what we declare on a regular basis. Change it. Change it. If you don't like the way your life is going, change. Change it. You don't like the color of your hair? Change it. You don't like the fact that you don't have hair? Change it. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to change, brother. Look back and say, well, you do too, sister. You need a change. Woo, 
glory. Glory to God. Change. Change. Back in 1972, I needed a change. I was tired of putting drugs into my system. I was tired of waking up every morning and seeing some demon staring myself in the mirror. I was tired of it. So tired of it that I checked myself into a treatment center. And I said, okay, no more of this. No more of this. This stops here and this stops now. And I wasn't a Christian. And if you can do that with willpower, how much more can you shut the door on pornography? Shut the door on fornication. Shut the door on worry. Shut the door on depression. Being a Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled Christian. Answer me that. Tell me that. How does it add up that people are still doing drugs and being a Christian for 30 years? How does it add up that Christians are treating one another like dirt? Because of stupid insecurities in their own lives. How does that add up in a church like this? That there's a potential for strife among members. It doesn't add up. And people say, well, you know what? If that person would change, everything would be better. How about you? How about you? Do you need any changes? I mean, it's the age old, age end old, whatever. The marriage. Well, you know, my husband, if he'd change and if he'd do this and he'd do that. You're putting all the responsibility on him. Have you looked in the mirror lately? I didn't see any halos over your head walking in here today. Change. Make some changes. Make some changes. If what you are doing has worked for you and it's seemingly getting not worked for you, I mean, and getting worse and worse, there's time for some changes. Oh, Jesus. I didn't intend to get so strong today. You don't, you don't have to like boys if you're a boy. You don't have to like girls if you're a girl. It's time to make some changes. All right. Glory to God. I don't know if I'm going to get great sermon pastor at the back door, but I don't care. You didn't hire me and you're not going to fire me. Amen. Change. Make a change. Be strong enough to look in the mirror and say, you know what? You're a mess. You are a mess, mister. And don't hide behind who you are in Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Now let me say this while I'm at it. I want to walk in love and I want to be a good pastor. But if you're doing anything during a service that is disturbing someone else next to you, seated next to you, stop it. Because if you're distracting the pastor and you're distracting people around you, it's taking away from the message. And I'm not singling anybody out, but I'm saying this. This is not my first barbecue. (laughs) I've been here long before you came here and probably will be here long before you're gone. So straighten up and act properly in the church of God. (laughs) Amen. All right, then. It, it gets down to house rules. Every house has got to have some rules. One of my major rules in this house, because I'm like the daddy of this house, under the great shepherd, one of the house rules is, is if you're disturbing anyone else around you during a service, that doesn't fly here. And if you're going to attend here, you've got to go by the rules of the house. All right, let's do, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Say, man, this is good today. Whoo, glory. This is good food. Hallelujah. And we'll just introduce this one because we don't have time to get into it into the depth that we'd like to. But in 2 Timothy 2, 1, and this point is this. Number one, grace justifies. Number two, what does grace do? Grace enables you to reign. Number three, grace will strengthen you. It'll strengthen you. In 2 Timothy 2, 1, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, strengthened by grace... Enabling you you to stand in what the Bible calls grace to stand. In Romans 5, 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul addressed a young minister and he said, Timothy, be strong in the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. Now in closing this. Let me tell you this. The Apostle Paul. Had ample opportunity. To be weakened by circumstances. And so will you in life. And it got so bad. In Paul's life. Because everywhere that Paul went. He would preach the gospel. People would stand up. They'd heckle him. They'd throw stones at him. They'd raise up their voices against what he was saying because Paul had so much revelation of who we are and what we have in Christ. And Paul got to a point one day where he went to the Lord and he said, lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. So, notice with me this phrase in verse 7. Exalted above measure. Does God want you to go beyond the norm in your Christian life? 
Does God want you to receive abundance of grace and revelation? Absolutely. The devil wasn't interested in Paul having revelation. Because Paul was a mouthpiece for God. He's not interested in you receiving revelation. Because you are a mouthpiece for God. And religion teaches us that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical ailment. It was not a physical ailment. Other people teach that his thorn in the flesh was Satan trying to, you know, just, you know, keep him, you know, just, you know, from being conceited. The devil wants people to be conceited. That's not it. No, 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 no. It was an assignment of the enemy to try to stop him. Now, let me tell you something. The devil can never stop a person that is standing in grace. Now, he may try to hinder you, but he'll never stop you. Let me ask you today, has the enemy ever tried to hinder you? He tried to hinder me several times. But you know what? By the grace of God, if you'll just keep standing, you'll keep abiding, you'll keep declaring, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. And that's exactly what God told Paul when he went before him and he said, Oh, do something about this. Do something about this. The Lord spoke back and said, My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul all of a sudden got a revelation. He said, your grace? What? Your grace? Your grace is sufficient? Then he said, you know what? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Jesus Christ may rest on me. In other words, the lights went on, just like the lights aren't on for many of you right now. But the lights went on. And he got understanding. And he said, it doesn't matter what comes my way. The grace of God is going to enable me to stand. Therefore, I'm going to get happy in the midst of tribulation and trials. Because I know the grace of God is going to see me through. And I'm going to make it to the other side. Stand up, everybody. Amen. That's enough. Glory to God. Just raise your hands toward heaven. right?